The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. So anyway, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to start reading in verse 1 and go to verse 10. And you he hath quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of which now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we have all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherein he loved us, even though we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For he is... For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in him. So let's go, let's go to prayer before I go any further. So. Father, uh, we thank you for this afternoon. We thank you for this opportunity that your word could be uh, preached from this pulpit and your name be glorified and magnified, Lord. We just ask that you just bless this message that I'm about to preach and that everything would be done according to your will. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so this passage is a clear explanation of the doctrines of grace and how we are totally depraved and unable to come to Christ, and that he made us alive, quickened, and saved us, and that he was the one who saved us and not anything that we did on ourselves. It states that we are his workmanship and that God has before ordained that we should walk in him. Now, uh, the title of my message is um, The Doctrines of Grace Responding to Critiques. So, there, however, there are those who deny the doctrines of grace, that they believe that we can, upon hearing the gospel, stir something in ourselves and come to salvation in Christ through our repentance and faith, and that upon those acts in us, we will be born again and obtain salvation. These people state that we preach the doctrines of grace that, that we who preach the doctrines of grace preach a false gospel and are not true Christians. They level many criticisms of us upon us, but I'm going to concentrate on three of the main criticisms they have of our teachings. And these are, and remember these are accusations against us, that we deny that man has any responsibility for his salvation, that those who are the elect will be saved and those that are not elect will be lost for eternity, that there is no free will in man, and that he is a mindless creature or drone that has no say on where he will end up. That man, is not of the, that man who is not of the elect is born of sin, will live a life of sin, and die and go to hell, and nothing that that person could do that can change that. Okay, the second one, that the doctrines of grace are unbiblical, and that they are not taught in the Bible, and that many of the scriptures appear to repudiate the doctrines we hold. For the, for the scriptures that we hold that teach the doctrines of grace, they counter with a different interpretation and quote other scriptures and claim their viewpoint. And then the third one um, is that we do not believe in evangelism, that we believe that God will save those that are of the elect and no, no witnessing is really necessary because God will 
make sure that they get saved. So each of these false accusations, each of these are false accusations, and I'm here to provide rebuttals to each of them. So the first one is that um, man has no free will. So in, this, in my research on this subject, I have found that the doctrine of free will is the point of Arminianism as much as TULIP is to the doctrines of grace. And I am going to say doctrines of grace instead of Calvinism because our doctrine is from Christ in the Bible. It's not from John Calvin. So. So, so to the Arminian, or those who reject the doctrines of grace, free, mil, free will is tantamount in salvation, and man has the ultimate choice to accept or reject the gospel, and that God ultimately leaves it to man to make the decision. When we refute what they teach, that man is incapable to come to Christ by himself, they claim that man has free will to come to Christ or to reject him. So the question is, why does man having free will mean so much to the Arminian? So to answer this question, uh, one of the things I figured is that we had to go back to the Enlightenment period of history. So the Enlightenment period was defined as a European intellectual movement from the 17th and 18th century of which ideas concerning God, reason, nature, and humanity were synthesized into a worldview that gained wide ascent in the West and instigated revolutionary developments in art, philosophy, and politics. Central to the Enlightenment thought was the use and celebration of reason, the power by which humans understand the universe and improve their own condition. The goals of rational humanity are considered to be knowledge, freedom, and happiness. So one of the main characteristics of thought was reason, and that man is a rational being, and as a rational being, he is able to analyze and make determinations as to whether to accept or reject that which is told to him. So, so if the gospel makes sense to him, he will accept it. If not, he will reject it. So now I know that, you know, the Arminianism uh, idea is precedes the Enlightenment, but I mean, this really came into focus in the Enlightenment period where it's the whole idea that, you know, man is rational, he can make good decisions based on, you know, thought and reason and logic and all that is. So, okay, now reason overall is not evil, and the Enlightenment in the whole was a good thing. But it can be misconstrued when it comes to biblical understanding as it, as it is, for biblical knowledge and human wisdom are, all, are not always the same thing. So if you go uh, 1 Corinthians uh, ch chapter 2, um, verses 10 through 16. So, but God has revealed unto them by his Spirit, and the Spirit searches for things, yea, the deep things of God. For a man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not of the words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing the spiritual things with spiritual but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord, and, and he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So part of this is, what is, is that uh, he, you know, in fact, I'll probably get into this next one here. 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 18 through 20. Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you seem to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. 
For wisdom in this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness, and get, and again the Lord knows us the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. So the Bible teaches that man's wisdom and godly wisdom are not the same thing, and that to the Armenian using reason to fully understand and believe the gospel is something that man has the ability to do. But the um, Bible actually teaches out different in that it actually says that the wisdom of God is foolishness to man. So simply going through the Bible and understanding and believing in Christ through logical and reason is not going to work because you know man's reason is man's nature is not to uh, believe in spiritual items. It's it, you have to have a spiritual mind to understand spiritual matters, and if you don't have spiritual mind, you're not going to understand spiritual matters. So, uh, our, in fact, our nation's founding was fa- founded by men of the Enlightenment, and in their founding document is a statement that reflects the idea that man is a rational creature and that this creature has certain rights given to him by God. So the Declaration of Independence does state that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, among them life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So that's great. I mean, as Americans, we are glad that we have, you know, the um, rights and that we do believe, you know, and that um, men are created equal. But, um, but it says, that, you know, that the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, that is, those are for temporal things. So it doesn't give us the right to eternal life, but it does give us the right to physical life. And sometimes I think the Armenians do think that, you know, because we are Americans and we have the reason, we can use reason and exercise our right to eternal life through believing in the Gospels. So a part of the American psyche is this idea of achieving our success through our decisions and hard work. And we can achieve anything if we strive and work hard for it. So before America, you know, the the idea was that men were born and died in the lot of life given them. If you were born into nobility, you died in nobility. If you were a serf or a slave, you died that way. Both you and your children would have had similar lives and existences. So only in America in the 19th century could men actually be born in log cabins in the woods to poor families and grew up to eventually become president of the United States. That was a concept, you know, that was foreign in most, you know, countries back in, back in those days. Or you could find gold or silver, silver in the West, you know, in a gold, gold rush or silver rush and become rich through that. This rags to riches dream was a possibility in America that didn't usually exist elsewhere. So the idea of life, liberty, and rights are so much ingrained in our society that we use our, we use our rational thought to make many of the decisions that we make. And as valuable citizens, we can and make decisions all the time that affect our lives. And these decisions are ours to make, and they are made by our free will. Where to live, where to work, what to do, what to buy, and unfortunately, in some cases, unfortunately, um, whether to believe in Jesus. But what exactly is free will? It is the idea that we have absolute ability to come to a decision and enact according to that decision without any outsider interference or restrictions. So the dictionary definition is the power of acting without the constraint of necessity or fate, the ability to act in one's own discretion. But I have to ask, isn't free will limited to what we can comprehend or the information we possess? 
I mean, man can only act on his free will and what his nature is and what can only make decisions based on the information he has. So what is man's nature? Well, the actual nature of man is we are sinners, vile, and unworthy. We have been described as, in the Bible as filthy rags, dead man's bones, and open sepulcher, among other things. Okay, Romans 3, uh, verses 10 to 12. As, is, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They have together become unprofitable. There is none that seeketh good. No, not one. And then back to Ephesians 2, verses 2 and 3 again. Whereas in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom we have also had our conversations in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So man's nature um, without God is carnal. So in Romans seven fourteen, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Romans 8, 6, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And then Romans 8, 7. Because the carnal mind is enmity with God, it is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. So man, you know, we are carnal creatures, we are enemies of God, and as enemies, we, you know, we actually cannot come to Christ um, by our own free will, because our free will will reject Christ just because that's the way we are. Okay, um, man's will is also limited to the information he has. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're doing rational, you'll take the, you know, the things that you know and the circumstances and you'll apply them and kind of apply your logic and analysis and, and determine that. But what if you don't have all the information? So have you ever made a decision and regretted it later when new information came to light or new circumstances? I mean, we've all had that probably happen sometimes. You make a decision when you made it, seem personally re, per, purpose, it, uh, purposely reasonable, and then things went wrong, and then you find out, oh, well, you didn't know about this piece of information, and had you known that, you would have never come, made the decision you did. So what does free will do to you then? I mean, it basically led you astray. So here are some questions. Do you want your salvation to rest on a decision you make that might be done on faulty information, easy believism, um, such as um, no, re such as easy re believism, so like no repentance, keeping of rules? If you have free will to believe and be saved, can you change your mind and have the free will to not believe and lose your salvation? So, being an American and having freedom to worship and having rights that are others in the part the world are denied are great blessings and gifts of God, but having free will to come to Christ is not the best thing that we would, that we would believe it to be. I would rather rest my decision that God made for my life and salvation on what I make. For if I'm a believer, my life is eternal. If I am not a believer, I am likely not concerned about spiritual matters and with free will would reject him anyway. And that's basically it. I mean, the people who don't believe in God, if you ask them about God, yeah. Most of them will not flat out reject God, but they really don't think of him at all. I mean, they just go about their lives and, you know, God never really enters their mind at all. I mean, they're just not concerned. 
you know, then maybe towards the end of their life, you know, when things are bad, maybe they're ill or injured and they know that death is coming, you know, then they maybe will start to think about, you know, God and mortality. But for most of the people that, you know, are not believers, they're going to just go about their lives like as if there is no God. I mean, as a Brother Don teaches this morning, I mean, fools believe that there's no God. And that's what most of the lost are. They're fools. So the second accusation I want to address is that the doctrines of grace are unbiblical. And here the Armenian will quote many scriptures that support their claim that we come to Christ through our decisions. So um, Acts 2, uh, verses 38 to 41, this is on the day of Pentecost. So Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, that ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our Lord shall call. That, that with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them three thousand souls. So, of course, to the Armenian, they'll, they'll kind of um, tie into verse 40, where it says, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And then they'll say that, um, in verse 41, then they that gladly received his word, and they would take that to mean that, you know, that they heard it, they were saying, oh, this is great, you know, and, and that their decision was the one who were baptized. And the same day were added 3,000 souls. Okay, the next uh, ones that they like to use is Acts 16, verses 30 and 31. And this is a Philippian jailer. And brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And then, of course, the Armenians like to use John 3, 16. Um, and I'll actually read through 18 here, which is the most famous verse of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believeth on him should not perish, but have under everlasting life. For God sent not his Son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world might, through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. So, then basically they deny that God has only chosen some to salvation. So they'll, they'll look at First uh, Timothy verses 2, Verse 2 through 4. Or, I'm sorry. 1 uh, Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 4. So, who, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth? Or, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth? Now, actually, this, preach, this teaches of all types of men, all races, wealth levels, and authority. This is the portion of scripture that talks about, you know, obeying, you know, the um, leaders, the kings, those in authority. So, um, but, you know, they'll twist this to say that, you know, that, that God wants all men, every single man to be saved and to come to the knowledge. And then on Second Peter uh, 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count snack, slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish and that all should come to repentance. So on this one, uh, the Lord is act- uh, Peter is actually speaking to the church, not to the general public. So these are saved people that he's already addressing. So basically he's saying that if you are saved, 
um, you will not perish. He's not saying that every person in the world um, is not willing that any of us should perish, but he's just saying that, you know, that those that are saved, he's not willing that any will perish, and because he is God, then none will perish for those that he's saved. So now when we preach the doctrines of grace, we have verses that support our view, and I will provide some, but there are many more than these. So in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 7, which is just a chapter back from what we read at the beginning, Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to him, according to the good pleasures of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he has made us accepted in the beloved, that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So again, it's saying that we are predestinated unto the adoption and that he chose us before the foundations of the world. Okay. Romans 8, 28 through 30. So those of us who are in the Romans class should very well know these verses. For we, for we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, did he also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we may be firstborn to many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, whom them he also called, and whom he called, he also justified, and whom he justified, he also glorified. And then also Romans 9, 11 through 16. For starting in verse 11, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It is said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith unto Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor is it him that runneth, but God that showeth mercy. And then uh, John 13, uh, verse 18. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me that hath lifted up his heel against me. Okay, this is actually uh, when he was uh, speaking to his disciples. But basically he's saying that everyone that he's addressing, you know, not all of them have chosen. John fifteen sixteen, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you, that ye shall go forth and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit shall remain, that whoever shall ask in the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Now, this whole idea of God choosing people, I mean, is not new. I mean, in the Old Testament, you know, Israel was God's chosen people. So um, the whole idea that, you know, God is somehow obligated to save everybody, you know, is, is ridiculous when you consider the whole Old Testament is that, you know, God chose Israel as his chosen people and he pretty much rejected everybody else. So, the, um, so some will argue that election is not fair, that it denies some that believe in God's salvation because they are not elect. He claims that the doctrines of grace are unfair. So I do have some questions. Um, that, you know, that the Armenians will, um, will ask, you know, to kind of refute our claims. They'll say, 
What if I want to believe in Christ, but I'm not of the elect? I want to believe, but I can't because God won't let me. So, and then, um, and then another one. So God allows people to hear the gospel knowing that they will not believe and that by doing so, it actually pours more sin upon their heads. And then another one is, so a person that is of the elect and dies will be saved even if they don't truly put their trust in Jesus. So here's where I want to talk to you about the ordo, ordo, ordo salutis, which is the order of salvation. So there's a big difference between what the, um, those who believe in the doctrines of grace believe in the order of salvation and the, those who believe, um, don't believe in doctrines of grace, the Arminians. So now I do want to say this is a logical order, not a chronological order. So in the doctrines of grace order, uh, regeneration comes first, that is being made alive, followed by repentance and faith, and then, you know, the net result is salvation. But the being regenerated comes first logically, because one has to be made alive to understand the spiritual things of God in order to, uh, to understand repentance and faith, because without without being brought alive, in fact, as, as we read in Ephesians 2, you know, you're not, until you're quickened, you're not going to understand true repentance and faith. So, you know, God quickens a dead soul, brings him to life, and the now living soul repents and puts his faith in Jesus Christ and is saved. Now, repentance and faith are fruits of salvation and gifts of God. And that's what Ephesians 2, verse uh, 8 Let's see. Yeah, verse 8. So by grace ye are saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now the Arminian order is um, repentance and faith brings regeneration, brings salvation. So to them, the, a person hears the gospel, repents and puts their faith in, in Christ. Their soul is regenerated and they're saved. That repentance and faith to them are the catalysts that bring about regeneration, and that man has a provenient grace inside of him to allow him to come to Christ. Unfortunately, this is not what the Bible teaches. So understanding this order helps clear up some of the questions asked above. Remember, this is a logical, not a chronological order, that there actually is no time lag between the first item on the list and the, and, and the third one in the final salvation. So... So, of course, the first question was, again, was, uh, you know, what if I want to believe in Christ, but I'm not of the elect? I want to believe, but I can't because God won't let me. Well, a person who's not regenerated will not want to come to Christ. And again, the order's... So, you know, how could they exhibit fruits of salvation, of, of repentance and faith, if they're not regenerated? You know, if they do appear... To, appear to want to be saved, but, you know, they don't truly believe, then they're not really saved. I mean, they may think that they have repentance and faith, but they do not know the true repentance and faith. I mean, they're ones that, you know, the Bible speaks, but the parable of the sower, you know, they're going to wither away because it was not a true um, faith that they held. So they, so the person who's not regenerated, you know, may short-term think that, oh yeah, I can, you know, live my life in Christ, I believe in God, but eventually they will uh, fall away. So, again, order is important. Okay, the next one is, um, again, was the un- was, uh, 
so God allows people to hear the gospel knowing that they will not believe and that by doing so pours even more sin on their heads. So the answer to this is an unregenerated person willingly commits sin and will not respond to the gospel. So then, so I actually actually want to ask some questions myself to these people. So is it fair for someone to die and go to hell if they've never heard the gospel? Is this somehow fair, but allowing someone to reject the gospel is not fair? Because Romans 1 actually addresses this. I mean, the, just a na- the natural world just kind of shows that man is evil and unworthy. It doesn't need gospel preaching to show that man is, um, you know, is sinful. So, um, so for them to believe, or not, I'm sorry, for them to not believe, you know, and reject the gospel is something that natural man does. Now, it's not fair or unfair. It's, it's God's righteousness. In fact, um, see, I thought I, I thought I had it in here, but I must have left it out. But anyway, there's this, an actual uh, quote here where it talks about that um, we cannot, we you know, we are not to judge God. I mean, if when we start talking about whether God is fair or not, we're literally what we're doing is we're saying that we're more righteous than God and that we have, you know, a higher standard than God does as to what is righteous and what is fair. Well, God is truth and God is the ultimate justice. So for anyone of us to claim that we know better than God what should be fair and what isn't fair, um, it, we're committing sin. I mean, we're basically making ourselves God and, and that's a violation of the first commandment. You know, we have no other gods, you know, other but him, and the fact that, you know, and most people, you know, when they, nowadays, when they have other gods, they're making themselves God, self is God. You know, they're not going to, they're not necessarily going to say, I worship some other god. They're going to, like, say, well, I know the Bible and God says this, but I say, and that's, you know, that is violation of the first commandment. So, and then the last question is, um, you know, can a person who um, is saved or is of the elect and dies uh, will be saved even though they don't truly put their trust in Jesus? Well, again, uh, this order is logical order. It's not chronological order. So you're never going to have someone who's like past the first step of regeneration but hasn't quite gotten to the repentance and faith yet. So it's an instantaneous thing. So, you know, the... They're made alive, they, believe, they repent, they believe. It's instantaneous, so that situation cannot exist that a, loss, or a person who doesn't believe will be saved because by nature, a person who is quickened and made alive is willing and basically will be saved. So um, many of the Armenians will argue their own experience with salvation and how it was done, and they will claim it is the Armenian way. They have heard the gospel preached, they repented and believed in Christ to save their wicked souls, and they were proclaimed as saved. Again, they will use the verses above as proof, and the order salutis of the Armenian way is how they were taught and how it logically flows for them. Because I was believed, I was born again and saved. And that's how they think of it in the order. Uh, they believed first, and then they were reborn, and then they were saved, rather than they were reborn, therefore they believed and were saved. So the order is very important. 
So actually, I want to show personal experience and observation don't always match reality. And I kind of want to use a physical example to show how this biblical truth. So this is something I actually came up with a few years ago, but I think it is really good as to uh, just kind of explain um, how what we uh, what the Bible teaches doesn't necessarily uh, match what you know we think it should be or our own experience. And that is um, the Earth and sunrises and sunsets. So. As a kid, I mean, you know, when we were born as a little kid, you know, we saw the Earth sunrise, you know, you know, being here in Runner Park, you know, or anywhere, you know, the sunrise is in the east, and during the day you'll see it kind of go across the sky, and eventually it'll set in the west. And so, you know, and that's what we believed, you know. The sun, you're, you know, you could be sitting, you know, doing nothing all day, maybe just sitting around or just kind of doing your thing, but, you know, the sun rises over here, moves across the sky, ends up setting over there. So then what happens? You get into school in science class. And they tell you, well, no, the sun's not moving, you know, and the earth's still. In fact, they say that the earth is round. The sun doesn't move, but the earth rotates. In fact, the earth has a circumference of 24,901 miles at the equator, and at 24 hours a day, that would translate into a speed, rotational speed of 1,038 miles per hour. Now, I did the uh, calculation for Rohnert Park. So Rohnert Park actually lies at 38 degrees, 20 minutes, 22 seconds north latitude. So at this latitude, the Earth is spinning at 820 miles per hour. So basically, um, since this service started about 45 minutes ago, we've traveled approximately 600 miles. <laughs> now, so what's the difference? Uh, it's the point of view. So our view is from Earth. So from Earth, you know, we will see that the sun, you know, rises over here, travels across the sky, and sets over there. But if you were to view this, the Earth and the sun from space, you'll see, you know, that the sun pretty much is kind of stays somewhat stationary, at least for this example, and that this uh, Earth is slowly spinning. And so um, the continents of the Earth spin in, out, in and out of the sunlight, and that's where we get sunrise and sunset. So now how, you ask, well, how does this relate to salvation? Well, again, um, it's a point of view. So from um, man's view, of course, you know, we get saved because we heard the gospel, we you know, say, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. I believe it. I you know I'm a sinner. I'm unworthy. You know, please, God, save my, you know, unworthy, wicked soul. And that's how, how we see it. But then you read in the Bible where it says, well, God actually made the decision to save you, that it was all of him. He made the decision before the foundations of the world, and that you really don't have a, you really did not make the decision, that God made the decision for you. And so again, the difference is point of view. Now, the verses on e that each side uses can be viewed as taken from man's view or God's view. And the fact they seem to contradict each other um, really don't if you kind of take it this way. So, you know, we talk about God saving us, or, or, or if we talk about sunrise and sunset, you know, even though the sun doesn't move, we don't 
mean, it also doesn't mean that we're rejecting the rotating Earth. So in a way, we still talk about, um, you know, the sun rises, the sun sets, you know, the sun moves across the sky. I mean, we still use that language, but from a purely scientific form, that's not how it works. And then in a way, the Bible is similar so that, you know, he'll use man's point of view to explain, you know, the gospel. So when you get verses like, um, you know, what do, what do I need to do in order to be saved? You know, of course, the Bible says, believe on the, on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's man's view saying, you know, this is what you need to do. You know, he's not going to bring in, uh, you know, election and predestination at that point. So if we talk about God saving us through the preaching of the gospel and coming to faith in, in Jesus is what saves us, it doesn't disprove sovereign election. In fact, it just, you know, one of the things we want to do is that when we're, you know, witnessing to people is we want them to, uh, you know, believe in Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the point of, of witnessing is to get them to understand that they are sinners and to come to Jesus Christ. Now, actually, teaching them about election and predestination is really something that should be done after they're saved because, again, before they're saved, they're not going to have the spiritual um, awakening to understand those spiritual truths. So you need to get them saved first, and then they will, you know, be brought alive and quickened, and then they can understand, you know, the doctrines of grace. But trying to witness someone with the doctrines of grace really is not the best way to do it. So, but, but again, once they are saved, then we absolutely do need to teach them the doctrines of grace, because that's what's, what the Bible teaches. Now, um, Now, the last objection that we uh, have is that the doctrines of grace is that we don't evangelize. So there's two points here. So one of the things that uh, read was, according to articles, that uh, Calvinism, or again, doctrines of grace, has resurged in the last few years and is gaining in churches. But if we didn't evangelize, how could that happen? This cannot be, you know, doctrines of grace would die out if only the children of believers would possibly hear the doctrines in churches they attended. And again, you know, not all, all the children of believers, you know, would automatically be believers themselves. So just by the nature of attrition, you know, if, if people were not preaching the gospel for their new converts, you know, or maybe just, you know, drag their kids to church, eventually it would die out. So the fact that, you know, Doctrines of grace is actually increasing in churches across this country. means that somebody's got to be evangelizing. And it is those of the doctrines of grace. And the, the Bible does teach evangelism. Of course, you know, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things that whoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. So again, in, in giving the gospel, we should concentrate on man's view just because until he is saved, he's not going to understand God's view as he does not know the spiritual truths that until he is saved. Once saved, he can learn the doctrines of grace. And a good Bible church will not only give the gospel, but will teach the disciples. So this is Ephesians four eleven and 12. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So a church that only provides soul winning and never gets to the teaching of scripture and learning of the doctrines of grace is, is a pretty weak church. 
So it is important to edify and to teach the saints the truth of God's word, which is the doctrines of grace. And we do, we do need both, not just from the pastor, but as members of this church, we need to be givers of the gospel in our communities, to our friends, to our family. As the Bible says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few, so we need more workers. And then one of the greatest uh, um, doctrines of grace preachers that ever lived was Charles Spurgeon, and that he believed in the doctrines of grace. And actually, in a message called Sovereignty and Salvation, he preached from Isaiah 45, verse 22. And this was, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. So I'm actually going to close out this sermon tonight by reading a portion of of this sermon. So this is from uh, Charles Spurgeon, and this is probably around uh, January, based on the text. So, Take this, dear friends, for a New Year's text, both ye who love the Lord and ye who are only looking for the first time. Christian, in all thy troubles through this year, look unto God and be saved. In all thy trials and afflictions, look unto Christ and find deliverance. In all thine agony, poor soul, and in all thy repentance for thy guilt, look unto Christ and find pardon. This year, remember to put thine eyes heavenward and thine heart heavenward too. Remember this day that thou bind yourself, bind round thyself a golden chain and put one link into it in the staple of heaven. Look unto Christ, fear not. There is no stumbling when a man walketh with his eyes up to Jesus. He that looketh at the stars fell in the ditch, but he that looketh at Christ walked safely. Keep your eyes up all the year long. Look unto him and ye be... And be ye saved, and remember, he is God, and beside him there is none else. And thou, poor trembler, what sayest thou? Wilt thou begin the new year by looking unto him? You know how sinful you are this morning. You know how filthy you are. And yet it is possible that before you open your pew door and get into the aisle, you will be as justified as the apostles before the throne of God. It is possible that ere your foot treads the threshold of your door, that you have lost the burden that has been on your back, and you will go on your way singing, I am forgiven, I am forgiven, I am the miracle of grace. This day is my spiritual birthday. Oh, that I might be such to many of you, at last I might say, Here am I and the children thou hast given me. Hear this convinced sinner. This poor man cried, and the Lord delivered him out of his distresses. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Now believe on him. Now cast thy guilty soul upon his righteousness. Now plunge thy black soul upon the bath of his blood. Now put thy naked soul at the door of his wardrobe of his righteousness. Now seat thy famished soul of the feast of plenty. Now look, how simple does it seem, and yet it is the hardest thing in the world to bring men to. They will never do it till constraining grace makes them. Yet it is, look, and go thou away with that thought. Look unto me, that ye be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. That actually gives me chills. (laughs) So it is our duty to proclaim the gospel, and we should not shy away from it. So let's go to prayer. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to bring the gospel or preaching today, Lord. And I just pray that you just bless this congregation as we go out um, into the world and that it may be put on our hearts that we need to be witnesses to you in our communities, Lord. And that, um, and that we are also to uh, live our lives that 
that God has given us uh, salvation. And it's not anything that we did, but it's gift from you. Um, salvation, faith, repentance, all of it is gifts from you, Lord. It's nothing that we've done. And Lord, I just pray that um, your word would be magnified through uh, commu this community and through this whole um, area, through, through, this, through your word. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.